Big move in Guinea. We have aluminum hitting a decade high after Guinea coup imperils supplies. We've seen all sorts of headlines here. Wall Street Journal, CNN, Financial Times. Aluminum prices hit decade high as coup threatens supplies. And so I'm going to try and find the latest on that. Aluminum we don't talk a ton about, but I have started talking a little bit about it. We had the Alcoa conference call and things seem pretty bullish before the coup. And apparently Guinea is a major supplier. Uh, You don't hear about Guinea very often. Now, Guinea is in West Africa. Okay. So West Africa, we have a couple of stories actually coming up about how West Africa is a bit of a hot spot right now. It has been for a couple of years. So, you know, that narrative is not going away at all. If anything, it seems to be flaring up. So interesting times in West Africa. Apparently, there's a major Chinese operation out of Guinea that supplies aluminum. So we're going to take a closer look at some of what's going on over there. Uh, Once I get off of uranium Twitter, I I knew there was crypto Twitter, but I didn't realize there was uranium Twitter. must be in 2021 if we're dealing with uranium Twitter. So lots going on. Again, it feels like a status quo from the late summer. I feel like the year, although technically we have begun our media new year, I don't feel like we have dramatically begun our new year. I feel like the, the table is being set for a new story to happen. The news feels kind of, you know, we got this coup in Guinea. Uh, we know about Delta. You know, what, what do we got on Drudge here? So the Drudge report, you know, Moo is coming. So it kind of feels a little bit like the calm before the storm, doesn't it? If we take a look at the 10-year bond, we see it has perked up. It's at 1.366%. Now, this is still in the range that we've been looking at in the last couple of months, but it has perked up, so we do want to take note of that. You know, and crypto markets, sometimes they're seen as a little bit of a early indicator of what could happen in the normal markets. I think that's debatable, but nevertheless, crypto YouTube is getting incredibly bullish on crypto again, and everybody is calling for a $100,000 Bitcoin. Of course, now it's starting to go down, so appropriately, once everybody gets on side and declares it's going to go up, you better get in while you can. Everything falls. So it's an interesting, again, uh, it's like a news cycle in search of a story is sort of how I feel. It's almost like the news is still on vacation. But I don't think we're going to have to wait very long. I think something is coming down the pipeline. And this market, it's going to break, is sort of my sense. Uh, You know, as I looked at crypto, it looks like it's about to break either higher or lower. Uh, You know, we see this Moo variant. Uh, You know, again, back to Drudge, it's in 49 states. And I don't know if you know about Moo variant, but we're probably going to hear a whole lot about it, which is apparently... It can bypass all the vaccine resistance. So that could be the last news that we all want to hear. Uh, But there you have it. That's where we are. Uh, This episode, we have Anthony Vaccaro's welcoming remarks at the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, where he welcomes five new members into the Hall of Fame. And I thought this was just kind of a nice, tidy way for us to get up to speed 
on who is being inducted and what they are doing and what's going on over at the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. So we're looking forward to that. Anthony Vaccaro is the group publisher of the Northern Miner. I believe he's managing director at Glacier Resource Innovation Group as well for Glacier Media. So he is doing really well and he cracks a few jokes as well. So a man with many talents. So we sit patiently here as we wait for the markets to make their next move. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter, at Northern Miner. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts. And wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we have a story here actually on mining.com, and this is a Bloomberg News story on mining.com, and it says here, Guinea Junta plans unity government reassures mining firms. And if we look, a military junta that sees power in Guinea said it plans to establish a unity government pending a transition to civilian rule, urged mining companies to keep operating, and reassured them that their existing agreements with the state will be honored. Quote, a government of national unity will be set up to lead the transition. End quote. Coup leader Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya said in an address to members of the toppled administration on Monday, quote, the curfew in mining zones has been lifted to ensure continuity of production and ports remain open for exports. End quote. He said, air links have also been restored. And it continues, special forces led by Dumbuya seized power on Sunday after detaining President Alpha Conde, who'd held power since late 2010. The 83-year-old leader has so far resisted pressure to resign, according to two people familiar with the matter, who asked not to be identified because they aren't authorized to speak to the media. Dumbuya will present himself as the leader of the transition, the people said. The coup leader has ordered members of a presidential security unit to confine themselves to a barracks outside the capital city of Conakry and ban former officials from leaving the country. He also instructed the secretaries general of Guinea's ministries to take over the role of ministers and the governors of the regions to be replaced by military commanders. There were no signs of unrest in Conakry overnight in response to the military takeover by the junta. Guinea is a key global supplier of bauxite, an ore that's processed into alumina and then aluminum, which is used in cars and cans. The bulk of the West African nation's bauxite exports are sent to smelters in China, the biggest producer of the metal. Guinea shipped 82 million tons of the mineral globally last year, according to government data. China and Russia on Monday joined the United Nations and the U.S. in condemning the coup. Wow, so nobody is happy with this coup. That's unusual. Quote, China opposes coup attempts to seize power and calls for the immediate release of President Conde. End quote. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin told reporters in Beijing on Monday. He continues, we hope all parties can be cool-headed and exercise restraint. Keep in mind the fundamental interests of the nation and people. Address the relevant issue through dialogue and consultation and safeguard peace and stability in the country. 
Leaders of two African blocs have also pushed for Conde's release. The Economic Community of West African States threatened sanctions against Guinea, while the African Union called for its Peace and Security Council to meet urgently over the matter. Sounds like this is a real renegade group. These guys are acting on their own. So according to Dumbuya, Conde's overthrow was necessary to address financial mismanagement and corruption in Guinea, and the deposed leader is safe and has been in contact with his doctor. The coup has upended a decade of stability in Guinea and will be of concern to other African leaders, according to Eric Humphrey Smith, Africa analyst at risk intelligent company V-Risk Maplecroft. And we have a quote from Eric Humphrey Smith. While the feeling among many Ghanaians is jubilation, make no mistake that this is two steps backward for both the country's democracy and economy. Recovering what until now was a stable and predictable operating environment is anything but a given. So I feel like we're not being told something here. But yeah, it seems like someone in the military, Mamadi Dumbuya, has basically organized the army into taking over the country. And now they're kind of stuck with the country and no international support. I mean, that's pretty unusual when you get everybody Russia, China, the U.S., the United Nations, African Union, the community of West African states. You get everybody is mad here. So, you know, might want to be careful of what countries you try and take over because you are left with that country in your hands and it might be hard to get rid of it, especially now he's he needs to stay in there. But anyway, so aluminum prices as a result have reached there. We have a quick report from CNN here. Uh, aluminum prices have reached their highest level in more than a decade following a coup in Guinea, a major supplier of the main ore used to produce the metal. The price of aluminum futures on the London Metals Exchange rose as much as 1.8% to $2,775.50 per metric ton on Monday after political turmoil broke out in the West African country over the weekend when a military officer broadcast a statement that the nation's constitution had been dissolved. So, interesting, interesting. Turning... To our next story, we have I Am Gold. This is like the West Africa show is really what this is. We have I Am Gold halts transport to and from Burkina Faso mine after attack. So this is by Cecilia Jamazmi, and I Am Gold has suspended convoys to and from its Essekane gold mine in Burkina Faso near the border with Niger after gunmen attacked a convoy traveling to the operation company said no passengers were hurt. One police officer was injured while the convoy's security repelled the gunfire, but he's in a stable condition, the Toronto-based miner said. Militant violence in Burkina Faso, Niger, and Mali has intensified in recent years despite the presence and interventions by UN, regional, and Western troops. Endeavor Mining, West Africa's top gold producer, has also been the subject of attacks in Burkina Faso. It's Bungu Mine, Previously owned by Samafo, was ambushed in 2019, resulting in 37 deaths and over 60 people injured. That same year, Canadian geologist Kirk Woodman was kidnapped and killed. His body was found in rural Burkina Faso. He was the ninth Canadian in the West African country to be killed since 2016. So that is another story out of West Africa. And we have an editorial here from Editor-in-Chief Trish Saywell. Violence escalates in West Africa's tri-border Sahel region. And she says, as the world watched the Taliban assume control of Afghanistan this summer and the U.S. withdraw its last troops from the war-torn country, 
Another conflict thousands of kilometers away in the sub-Saharan Sahel region of West Africa continued to claim victims in the tri-border region of Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. Last month, there were attacks on civilians in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger by militants likely associated with the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara and the Al-Qaeda-linked Jamaa at Nasr al-Islam val Muslimin. And on September 1st, a convoy of IM Gold vehicles on its way to the Canadian company's Essekane gold mine in northeast Burkina Faso came under fire from non-state militants. The company subsequently canceled all convoys to and from the mine, quote, until further notice. Trish sort of lists some of the things that have been happening. In Burkina Faso, terrorists killed 80 people in an attack on a civilian convoy escorted by military police near the town of Arbinda in the northern province of Sum on August 19th. Those killed in the attacks included 59 civilians, six pro-government militiamen, and 15 military police. Another attack in Burkina Faso on August 4th claimed the lives of 19 troops and 11 civilians, but the deadliest attack occurred on June 5th when Islamic insurgents massacred at least 132 people in the village of Salhan, a gold mining area near Burkina Faso's border with Niger. According to the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, ACLED, a U.S.-based nonprofit that tracks political violence around the world, the strike on Solhan killed about 160 people and no group claimed responsibility. JNIM has denied responsibility and condemned the attack. However, circumstantial evidence and report point to groups linked to JNIM, and that is the Al-Qaeda link group. Uh, although the mass killing resembles recent ISGS mass atrocities and the group's behavior in general. The United Nations provided emergency assistance and said the dead in Solhan included, quote, a high number of children. Burkina Faso, quote, is experiencing an unprecedented humanitarian crisis, end quote, the UN said in a June 24 brief. Quote, currently there are more than 1.2 million internally displaced people, 61% of them children, compared to more than 136,000 displaced people during the same period in 2019, a tenfold increase in just three years, end quote. Across the border in Mali, 15 soldiers were killed when their convoy was ambushed after a car bomb exploded on August 19th. Another 51 people were killed on August 9th when Islamist militants attacked three villages near Mali's border with Niger. The United Nations said in a statement that, quote, the attacks against civilian populations constitute serious violations of international human rights and law, and international humanitarian law, and were like liable to be classified as crimes against humanity. In Niger, armed assailants killed 37 civilians, including 14 children, on August 16th. The International Crisis Group notes that, quote, jihadist attacks have increased fivefold since 2016, and inter-ethnic violence has ballooned. So, pretty intense what's going on over in West Africa, so we have to pay attention to this. Turning to other mining news, we have Agnico Eagle is increasing its stake in Candelaria Mining to 20%. And Candelaria Mining has two advanced exploration projects in Mexico, the Pinos Gold Silver Project in Zacatecas State and the Caballo Blanco Project in Veracruz. So it's always interesting to see when a company like Agnico Eagle expands its share in a company because often it is prelude to a takeover, but who knows? That was by Maryland Scales. Continuing on, Barrick and Nova Gold 
are coming closer to a decision on the Donlin mine. This is a bit of a controversial project. A lot of people think that, you know, you see online, a lot of people think that Nova Gold's Donlin mine is just a fantasy, but Mark Bristow seems to be taking it pretty seriously. As he said in his conference call that we listened to, he mentioned it. I believe I kept that excerpt. It's by Cecilia Jamasmi. Joint venture partners Barrett Gold and Nova Gold Resources have published the first results of their 24,000-meter drill program for their Donlin Gold project in southwestern Alaska, which will likely provide the final data needed for an optimized mine plan at the 39-million-ounce gold asset. So this is in Alaska. It's got 39 million ounces, and it's being mentioned in the conference call. The reason I think this should be taken seriously is look at the jurisdiction it's in. It's in Alaska, super safe, and... There's a lot of gold there. So I would think a company like Barrick, along with Nova Gold here, I would think they were they would be willing to try quite a few different things and even a higher cost if they can get a profitable ounce out of the ground here. So, I mean, you know, Barrick, they're trying to do more in Canada, and I think Alaska would not be far behind. The primary objective of the 2021 drill program is to complete necessary work to validate and increase confidence in recent geologic modeling concepts at the project. And also, they already have their major permits, it looks like. The National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and Borough of Land Management have already granted Barrick and Novogold the federal permits needed to develop the mine at the second largest gold-producing state in the U.S. So again, I've seen a lot of skepticism over the years about the Donlin project, but I think we have to take this one seriously. Uh, according to the JV partners, the Donlin deposit hosts one of the largest and high-grade undeveloped open-pick gold endowments in the world with an estimated 39 million ounces of gold, grading 2.24 grams per ton in the measured and indicated resource category. So those are your news stories. Now, let's take a look at metal prices. just having some technical difficulties with my microphone. I updated the driver on my microphone. Beware, it will cause you a world of hurt. So you're listening to my computer audio, and so you can see the contrast. And so turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on September 7th, Gold is trading at $1,812.70 per ounce. That is $2 lower than last week. Silver is trading at $24.36 per ounce. That is $0.19 cents higher than last week. And platinum is trading at $1,012.98 per ounce. That is $1 lower than last week. And palladium is trading at $2,396.00. And 70 cents per ounce. That is $98 lower. And unfortunately, also, our industrial metals have not updated from last week. I don't know if it's because of Labor Day or why, but unfortunately, we have last week's number on industrial metals. I thought of reading them out, but then I thought that was a little lame to read old prices out. So we will wait. And if we don't see an update tomorrow, we will email our friends at mining.com. And so what do we see? We see silver up a bit, gold down a bit, platinum, palladium down a bit. In other words, a bit of a status quo market, as we were saying before. And those are your metal prices. 
And coming up, we have Anthony Vaccaro's welcome remark at the 2021 Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. And they welcomed five new inductees, including Patricia Dillon, Mary Edith Tyrell, David Elliott, Stephen D. Scott, and William Gladstone Jewett. And you will learn a little bit about each of these people in Anthony's speech. So I hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more about the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, just go to miningholloffame.ca. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. host, your MC for the evening. So everyone's looking wonderful. Hope everyone's doing well. I've been really excited for this evening. This is like our reintegration into society party. I think that's the way we all need to think of this. But uh, we're going to do our best to get everyone back up to speed. The first thing is, the most important thing, is it looks like we came out of that bear market. Gives me a bit of a shiver down the spine saying the words bear market. It's, it's like the word Voldemort. You don't want to say it for fear of it returning. But I mean, gold did pretty okay. Gold did well last year, I think, right? I mean, it could have done a little bit better, a bit better of a performance on gold, but that younger generation, right? That younger generation isn't investing in mining the way previous generations did. That's, that's a problem, right? It's a problem that we're all aware of. How do we get these younger generations to care and invest in mining? Because they want to mine for Bitcoin and they want to meme for GameStop. Those are the things. How did those investments work out? Like, with that kind of investment track record, are we sure we want to get this younger generation in here? I don't know. Maybe we want to skip a couple generations and start fresh. Just a thought. And then there was that older, the older guys down in New York City, the hedge fund managers, right? They didn't like this GameStop business one bit. They got on the horn to the SEC, right? They argued very vociferously that something needs to be done. These kids cannot be allowed to manipulate the market. That's our thing. What's the purpose of our existence if just anyone can do this? So there was that. And then there was the whole hacker security threat, right? Where, you know, they come in, they hijack your company, basically. They hold it ransom. You have to pay them a few million in Bitcoin. Surprise, surprise. Now, this whole racket seems to me to be particularly unfair to the mining industry of all sectors. I mean, mining executives are already dealing with higher levels of stress than your average executive, right? Like there's illegal miners, angry protesters. We even have bandito mine robbers in some cases, right? Where they ride up to the gold mine with shotguns and rob the gold at gunpoint. That happens, unfortunately, that happens. But now it's a 15-year-old kid in his parents' basement wearing a We Charity shirt that's going to be your final undoing. It does, does not seem fair to me. Times have changed. Some things remain the same. We still celebrate greatness. And we have an unbelievable slate of individuals that personify greatness to welcome into the Hall of Fame this year. We have the force of nature herself. Yes, that is how she is commonly referred to. Doesn't get any better than that. Patricia Dillon or Pat Dillon. I think it would be wonderful if we could clone Pat Dillon. If every country that has a mining industry could have a Pat Dillon, doesn't it feel like this globally this industry would operate on such a more sophisticated level? I mean, Pat has headed up or played a key leadership role in almost every association in this country that really matters. 
Now she's perhaps best known for all the amazing work she's done for PDAC Mining Matters. She's guided that since 1994. Mining Matters has reached over 780,000 people over the years, educating them on the importance of mining. 780,000 people, that's a big number. Like that, that's an impact, that is an impact. But of course, you can't be that good at something unless it's innate and it's like it truly in you. And Pat, a love of learning, as I found out, is always part of your life. I heard from your geology professor back at U of T, Jeff Norris. And he said, you stood out from the crowd because you always had this incredible love of learning. But he went on to say, but that was not all that she loved. Along came Ted, an undergraduate and a geological engineer. They sat together in class and they held hands. Pretty adorable, but uh, they figured it out. Pat became a geologist back in the 1970s. Back when being a female geologist was about as common as a Maple Leaf playoff victory is nowadays. It was, it was rare stuff. And uh, staying with the Leafs, Steve Scott is being inducted tonight. He once played for the Leafs. Not really, not really, no, no. He did play at Maple Leaf Gardens. And he played at the PDAC charity game, and he got to play, he's a huge Leaf fan, and he got to play with two Leaf legends, Lanny McDonald and Carl Brewer. Imagine that being on the ice with two of your, you know, heroes growing up. Steve rose to the occasion, scored two goals in the game. Scored two goals, and smart guy that he is, realized that it would not get any better than that. Hung up his skates, I swear to God, never played another hockey game for the rest of his life. That's a smart dude. Now, He's not being inducted for his athletic prowess. He's being inducted for his intellectual contributions to our industry. He was a very deep thinker, so deep that he had to go to the bottom of the ocean for his research. I couldn't resist. Had to get a dad joke in there. He was the world-renowned expert on underwater VMS deposits. And all of it not so bad for a kid from Fort Francis, Ontario. David Elliott is also being inducted tonight. Dave Elliott. An avid, avid fly fisherman. He plies his trade in the wilds of BC. I am told when they get him into the Haywood offices, the company that he founded that has made such a massive contribution to this industry, when they get him into the Haywood offices, he looks a little bit flummoxed when someone says the stocks are down because he's not sure if they're talking about mining stocks or fishing stocks. <laughs> not that he would get, you know, rant and rave about it. He's known, Dave is, a, he's known as being a very soft-spoken individual. Despite his grand achievements, has maintained unbelievable humility. He's known for his having his favorite expression is that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And he lives by that. I've heard from many of your associates, Dave, that say that you always take the time. You can call him any time, anywhere, and you always take the call and try to help out. But Dave, you're a Hall of Fame member now. You might have to rethink that policy. That phone's going to be buzzing. It might get in the way with the angling a little bit. You might want to think on that one. Then we have William Gladstone Jewett, or Bill. Now this is the second Hall of Fame induction for Bill. Think about that for a career. He was inducted into the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame back in 1978. And he brought those aviation skills into our industry. He trained his geologists to be pilots and they would fly themselves off into uncharted territories to look for deposits. They called it the Kaminko Air Force. It was kind of the secret sauce of Kaminko, helped build it into the juggernaut that it became. You know, going off into new territories does come a little bit easier for some than it does for others. Turns out William could trace his lineage all the way back to William the Conqueror. It's a true fact. 
Listen, neither one of those titles would apply to Bill. Bill was a Renaissance man, if ever there was one. He could recite poetry in three different languages. He could play the piano with great virtuosity. He was a real family man. I thank his grandkids for sending in many of the remembrances of their grampy. The one that stuck out the most that I thought was very telling detail was how he'd love to get a golf game going with his grandkids. And he would orchestrate things in such a way that the winning shot always came down to a final putt on the 18th hole. He was a, a true maestro indeed. And last, but certainly not least, an overdue induction for Mary Edith Tyrrell. She was known as Dolly back in her time, and Dolly was at the forefront of a movement to get our industry to think about communities, both within mining and outside of mining. She was the founder of the Women's Association of the Mining Industry of Canada, WAMIC. She had an incredible technical expertise as well. She picked this up of her own volition by reading her husband's textbooks as he was off doing field work. But it really is her macro thinking about how mining can make society better that really distinguished her lifetime. You know, in the past, Mary Edith had been referred to as the wife of Hall of Fame member, Joseph B. Tyrrell. I think tonight it's time that we give Dolly her due when we refer to old Joseph B. as the husband of Hall of Fame member, Mary Edith Tyrrell. So a hearty congratulations to all of tonight's inductees. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, dear listener, for sticking with us through thick and thin. Hope you enjoyed that. Another part of this unique industry is how it remembers its own. And with that, if you want to help out the podcast, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory and share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.